Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. You ever feel like you're going through life with a sign that says this? What's that sign say? Help me out. Yeah. We go through life and, and we just feel like we're holding this sign a lot. And maybe you're holding this sign when it comes to your finances and you're saying, anybody that wants to, help wanted. Maybe you're going through a relationship struggle in your life. Maybe it's with you and your kids. Maybe you have kids that are teenagers and you are, you are just waving this sign all over the place and you're simply saying help wanted. Maybe you're in school and I asked one of the eighth graders if they're ready for graduation, and they said, well, I'll graduate if I'm lucky. Um, They're holding this sign that says, help wanted, right? We go through life holding this sign, and maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is a decision coming up. Uh, Maybe it's simply a, uh, you're on the verge of a breakdown, but you go through life, and you go through this life with a sign that says, help wanted, and if we Uh, ask ourselves how many times we have said, God, where are you? I know you're everywhere, but it feels like right now in my life, you're everywhere but right here. Things don't get easier when you make a decision for Christ or when you accept Christ. In fact, in a lot of ways, it feels like it gets harder. Am I right? All of a sudden, you have a new compass in life. You have new values. You have new priorities. And instead of going the same old way, you have a new compass that says, this is true north. This is what God uh, says. This is how God would like you to live your life. And instead of going the normal way you would have gone now, now you have a new way. And so things don't get easier sometimes when you accept Christ or when you make a decision for Christ. In fact, it may feel like things get a lot harder. How many of you understand that our feelings are not always an accurate indicator of what's happening? Because there will be moments in our life and we're holding the sign and, and, and we will doubt the very existence of God. And when we entertain that thought, we'll say, not only do I don't know if he exists, I don't know if he even hears me right now. And I don't even know if he'll answer my prayer. I don't know if I can trust him. And pretty soon what ends up happening is these little thoughts that creep into our mind become the foundation of how we view life, and we feel disconnected, we feel removed. Uh, God warns us that in Scripture, He says, "Um, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, but in this world you'll have tribulation." And so it often feels like we can forget a member of the Trinity. We sang about it a little bit ago uh, when we said God in three persons. We talk a lot about God and we focus a lot about Jesus. And sometimes it's easy to ignore and dismiss the reality of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, it can make sense because as a spirit, he can feel abstract. In fact, when, when Jesus is talking to the disciples... Uh, and he's gathered them around. We're going to look at the scriptures in a few moments. Um, he said, there's going to be another person, and he's going to be just like me. I have to go away. There's going to be someone else, and he's going to be just like me. But he'll be a comforter. He'll be an advocate. He'll be this spirit. 
And I wonder because of his name, the Holy Spirit, it's hard for us to connect with him because Jesus had a name, right? His name is Jesus. I wonder just for illustration's sake, and please, I'm not being sacrilegious, but I wonder if the Holy Spirit had a different name, if it would be easier to identify with him. For instance, if Jesus said, I'm going away, but Doug is coming soon. Now, I won't be able to be here any longer, but there's going to be someone else, and his name is Doug. And when Doug comes, he'll be your comforter, he'll be your advocate, he will be your helper. And when Doug's here, you'll, you'll understand the difference. But he doesn't have a name like you or I. He has this person, the Holy Spirit. Today is known as Pentecost Sunday, and maybe you celebrated this in church growing up, and maybe you didn't. It wasn't a holiday on the church calendar that the church I attended as a kid grew up uh, celebrating, but Pentecost is celebrated on the 50th day from Easter Sunday. It's seven Sundays removed from Easter Sunday, and as Lori read earlier, it commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the other followers of Jesus Christ where while they were in Jerusalem celebrating one of their feasts. And so these are the acts that are these are the uh, events that are recorded leading up to Acts chapter 2. We have the gospels that record the life of Jesus. We have the end of the gospels that record the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and then we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ which we celebrated 50 days ago. We celebrated Easter Sunday. After the Gospels, in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus ascends into heaven after he resurrected. And when he did, he told them, uh, go and wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And so Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to come back quickly, but until I do, go wait. And so we've talked about this scene before, the Holy Spirit, or, or I'm sorry, Jesus ascends into the heavens, and the, Holy, and, and the apostles are there, and they just look, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And they wait, and we wait, and we don't know how long, how much time passes, but then the angel says, hello, why are you still gazing here, Right? The Holy Spirit said to go to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem, and we begin to understand and see that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, everything would be different. Now, God is represented in three persons to us. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As the Father, He is the Creator. He is our sovereign ruler. Uh, as the Son, Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. But as the Holy Spirit, he is our helper. Everyone say those words. He is our helper. So all of these persons of the Trinity make up the Godhead. And so in John chapter 14, that's where we'll be today. John chapter 14, we are, uh, it opens with these words in verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why would their hearts be troubled right now? Where their hearts are troubled because this is the night before the crucifixion. The next day we would see uh, the cross and the tomb and the resurrection all unfold. But in here in John chapter 14, death seems really final. And so Jesus reminds them, let not your heart be troubled. As we read on in that passage, we pick it up in verse 15 this morning. John chapter 14 and verse 15 says this. In fact, read this verse with me. Ready, begin. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're talking about some commandments. Uh, Jesus had given them some recent commandments. He commanded them to wash one another's feet as an example of humility. He commanded them to love one another after the pattern of his own love for them. Uh, He commanded to put their faith in him. And Jesus is saying, this is the fair measure of our love for Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, prove it. It's a wonderful when our love for Jesus has sentiment and passion, but it always must be connected to keeping his commandments or it isn't love at all. Now, for the believer, disobedience is not only a failure of, uh, of an act or a failure of strength. For us, it can be a failure of love as well. So the disciples fear Jesus is abandoning us. This comforter is coming, but we don't know what that looks like. And when he lives, how, when he leaves, how will we know what we're supposed to do? In many essences, the disciples in John 14 are holding up the sign and saying, help. What do we do now, Jesus? If you're leaving, who's supposed to guide us? If you're leaving, what happens next? So in the response to their fears, we pick it up in verse 16. Verse 16 says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look at the promise in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus understood that his disciples, both those with him that evening and also the disciples that would come later that include you and I, that they would need God's presence and power. And so we come to this word uh, helper in these verses. The helper uh, word in the Greek translates into this word parakletos. And so these are the words that could be defined from that Greek word parakletos. We're talking about a helper, a comforter, an advocate, an advisor, a defender, a mediator, and an intercessor. So this is what it means to be the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so today what we're going to say is, or what we're going to look at is, how is God our helper? How does he comfort us? How is he our advocate, our advisor, our defender? How does he mediate for us? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be our intercessor? Because I believe the more we get to know how the Holy Spirit helps us, the more we get to lean into his power and his presence in our life today. Parakletos, he's our helper. He's our comforter. So as we think about these scriptures, how is God our helper? What does the Holy Spirit do? What has God done for us as the helper? So if you have your notes, very simple outline, we're going to look at 11 different ways the Holy Spirit helps us. Um, We'll be done quick though, I promise. Uh, Number one, the Holy Spirit seals us for salvation. The Holy Spirit seals us for salvation. Ephesians 1 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life acts as a seal which indicates ownership. It's a guarantee 
on our inheritance. Now, that word guarantee there, um, when, it's, when it's talking about sealed with the promise, it indicates us uh, that the Holy Spirit has ownership. And it's a down payment. His presence is a down payment on the coming glory of his presence for eternity. So we understand that when we leave these bodies, we will forever uh, be in the very presence of God, right? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have made that decision for him, if you've been baptized into the family of God, you have been adopted into his family, and when we leave these mortal bodies, one day we'll spend eternity with him. The Holy Spirit today is a guarantee, it's a down payment on that promise. He seals us for salvation. So the seal is therefore the Holy Spirit himself. His presence in the believer denotes his ownership and his security. And the Holy Spirit is our mark of adoption as God's children. We read it in Romans 8 this way. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So real quick, I want to I unpack a couple of things here. Look at verse uh, 14 and 15 again. We say, why is it the spirit of, uh, it says here, uh, you are led by the spirit of God, uh, are sons of God. You say, well, but why didn't Paul include daughters of God here? It's a fair question, right? It's a fair question. So when you look at Roman adoption laws, and when you look at the culture that we were talking about, the inheritance only went to the sons. So what he is saying here is he's not dismissing your gender. He's not dismissing uh, women by not including daughters of God. What he's saying is this. We're all equal before the throne of grace, whether you're a man or woman, and we all share in the inheritance as sons of God because that's where the inheritance would fall. He goes on in verse, uh, the next verse, and he talks about verse next. That's really good, huh? Verse next Verse 15, he says this, or 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what's that word? See what happens there? We went from sons to what? All of a sudden we share in the inheritance. So when you understand the writing of the time, when you understand the culture that he's writing from, we understand this is not being dismissive against men nor women. What he's trying to do is saying we are all included in this inheritance. So number one, the Holy Spirit seals us for salvation. Number two this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. What does this mean? First Corinthians puts it this way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Look at the next five words. You are not your own. That's a tough reminder for me sometimes. Because I know what I would like to do. I know what I would like to do in life. I know what my desires are. I know what my pursuits would be. But Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, 
You are not your own. Now, to be fair, the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is about sexual purity. He's saying you do not have the license to go and come up with your own sexual ethics. You don't just get to go around and engage in these types of sexual behavior on your own without considering whose you are. He's saying you are God's, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and he indwells you. Your body is a temple now, and because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God himself lives within us. That's a good reminder for us. Uh, wherever you go, you are taking the Holy Spirit with you. Does he always want to go where you're going? Yeah, that's a good question. Does he always want to go where you're going? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans continues to say it this way in Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Let's pause right there. What is he saying? He's saying, if the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, if that spirit lives in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Church, because Jesus lives in us, our old body is dead and the Spirit lives and reigns. Not only are we in Christ, uh, the beginnings of Romans 8, and I think it's 8 verse 1, says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, that means Christ Jesus is in you, there is no condemnation. But furthermore, because he lives in us, God cannot abide in a sinful home. The body has to die when Jesus comes in. This is what it means in Corinthians when he says, the, uh, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it's because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Number three. This morning, the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us. The Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us. Look at for, uh, John 14 and verse 26. It says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will, what's that word? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now here's the thing. In his departure, Jesus finished uh, his three-year crash course with the disciples, but their training was not finished. It would continue with the helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would teach the disciples uh, anything else that they would need. I think it's so interesting that after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and he goes up and he's uh, ascended into the heavens... His first command to the disciples is to wait. And they're like, well, well, you conquered death. You were dead. And now you're alive. What more do we need to wait for? Like, shouldn't the kingdom come now? Remember that at the end of Luke, the disciples are like, wait a minute, you're, you're alive now? Is this the moment that we get to take over? Is this the moment that the kingdom of God gets to come down? And Jesus said, hold on, it's time to wait now. 
And they're probably thinking, are you kidding? We've been waiting for three and a half years. Peter's probably literally losing his mind saying, Lord, I was there when you told us to fish and put it on the, the nets on the right side. And we've been fishing all night. And all of a sudden, the, the, uh, after fishing all night, we didn't catch a single thing. And then our nets broke because there was so much. I was ready then. I was ready on day one, Lord. And he says, no, Wait. One of the reasons why they needed to wait is so that when the Holy Spirit came down, he would have this ability to teach them and remind them. You know, the very first thing after the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they began teaching in tongues, the very first thing that happened next, Peter preaches a message. Now, I wonder what the message would have looked like without the Holy Spirit's help. Right? Right? We want to rush and we want to get to the next step. But if you remember at the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came to Jesus. And I got to believe it's because the Holy Spirit came and was able to teach and remind Peter in that moment, this is what I want you to say. This, I'm going rem- to remind you of these things. So the Holy Spirit teaches us. And reminds us, uh, number four this morning, the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit guides us. Uh, John 16 and verse 13 says it this way. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In this passage, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth because he guides believers into all truth. Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would make known what he hears and would only speak when the Father speaks. So in one sense, this was fulfilled when the New Testament was written because these were divinely inspired by God. They were completed, and yet he continually personally guides us into truth every single day but never in opposition to scripture because God's revelation comes primarily through scripture so he guides us uh number five this morning the Holy Spirit convicts us to be honest with you this is one that's really hard to get excited about I mean if we look so far at our notes he seals us for salvation amen that sounds pretty good uh he indwells us he lives in us that's pretty great Uh, He teaches us and reminds us, I need all the help I can get, right? Number four, this Holy Spirit guides us. That's pretty great. We get to number five, Holy Spirit convicts us, and most of us are like, eh, I could do without that one. Let's read. John 16, verse 7 says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Look at this next phrase. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit or the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our hearts to convince and to convict us of these truths. Now, church, it's a serious thing to resist and to reject this work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't like the feeling of being convicted, and I'll tell you perhaps why. I know in my life, I don't like the feeling of being convicted because I don't like to be wrong all that much. (laughs) 
at all, right? So however inconsequential the moment, I don't like to be wrong. Holy Spirit comes, and, and, and in the coming, Jesus says this, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because I'll go away, and I will send the Holy Spirit. I'll send this helper, and he will be able to convict you. Now, another reason why I really don't like the feeling of being convicted is because I have a hard time, uh, if I'm not focused, if I'm not rooted, I have a hard time distinguishing between conviction and guilt. Now, hear me, church, this may be the most important part of the message for you. Many times in our walk with God, we will receive the word and we are so used to guilt in our life that we respond as if the Holy Spirit is guilting us. Now, well, how do we respond when we are guilty? When we feel guilt, when we feel shame, I'll tell you what happens in one of two ways. You will withdraw yourself from God and you will withdraw yourself from God's people. So the first step usually looks something like this. I'll go to church, but I am checked out. I'll physically be here because it's expected of me, but I'm checked out. You won't participate in the worship. You won't pray because you're withdrawing from God. In some way in your life, you begin withdrawing from God. And the Bible app notification will come up for the verse of the day, and you'll, instead of opening it like you used to, and thinking about it and praying on it, you'll dismiss it. And then you'll turn off that notification because you're withdrawing from God. Um, when, when people ask how you're doing, fine, I'm doing great. Things are going great. And inside, I'm fine. I'm doing it. Yeah, you're holding a sign. No, no. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm holding this. I'm fine. I'm fine. Because you're withdrawing yourself from God. Um, the next thing that will happen for you is you will withdraw yourself from people. This is how guilt works. You will withdraw yourself from people. So instead of coming and being checked out, you're just not coming. And maybe you're watching from home today because there's some guilt residing where you don't know how to handle it. And so the only no way you know how to do it is remove the awkwardness, and so you're removing yourself from God's people. And so the Bible study you attend to, it's just easier not to go because you have to work and you're busy. Um, the prayer time you used to have with your family gets shorter and shorter or maybe just non-existent. That's how guilt works. This is how conviction works. The Holy Spirit will bring something to your attention. It'll convict you. And the first response in your heart is, Lord, forgive me because of this error in my life. Father, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you and I've sinned against others. Would you please forgive me? Do you see the difference between the two? Guilt withdraws you from God. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is an invitation to restore that relationship. So when you feel something in your heart, you get to respond one of two ways. You get to respond by taking the invitation of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is simply causing you to say, this part of your life is contrary to what 
the holiness of God looks like. And the Holy Spirit is inviting you to restore that relationship by repenting, asking for forgiveness, and restoring the relationship. So, the Holy Spirit convicts us. This is good news. You see, guilt focuses on our past and imprisons you by withdrawing from God. Conviction focuses on the future and frees you with an invitation to restore you to God and his people. Conviction and guilt. There's a difference there. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. Number six, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. Galatians chapter 5 says it this way. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm sorry, I didn't keep up on the verse there. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life is an ongoing process of becoming holy through sanctification and through conviction and the Holy Spirit, he wants us to refuse those natural impulses and embrace the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit can conquer the works of the flesh uh, you think about fruit. How many of you have a garden right now? How many of you, it's uh, overwatered at this point? Yeah. Um, fruit, when you think about your garden, fruit isn't achieved um, quickly, right? It's not achieved overnight. Fruit is fragile, but fruit does produce in time, it uh, reproduces itself often. Paul uses the plural in describing the life of the flesh, uh, the works of the flesh, but he uses the singular when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You see, in the big picture, the Spirit has one work to do in us all, and it's to make sure all eight, all of these fruit show up in our life. So here's the thing. Um, you don't get to just say, well, that fruit, Daniel, I'm just, I'm just not predisposed to patience. In fact, when the Holy Spirit was handing out the fruit, I did not get that part of the fruit. Right? Look at the verse again. It says this. The fruit, singular, right, of the Spirit is, that's a singular word. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. So you don't you just get to check out on patience. You just don't get to say, I'm just, kindness is not my natural disposition. Um, what's this other last one? Self-control. See, I got all the others, Daniel. I just didn't get any self-control. So when I lash out against my spouse, it's because I don't have that fruit. See, the, the evidence is this. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit, all of the Spirit, all of the fruit. 
And it's important for us to recognize that. So as we go through life, if there's moments that cause us to be unlovely, it is probably an opportunity from the Holy Spirit to say, hey, guess what class we're taking today? Love 101. You failed it last time, so we're taking it again. If you're in a position where you have to work on self-control, the Holy Spirit is giving you the opportunity to lean on him in that moment to exercise self-control. And you say, man, at work, I keep, going, I keep having these situations where I have to uh, be patient or I have to be kind or I have to be goodness. And I'm the Christian, so I have to because everyone knows. These are opportunities the Holy Spirit is gifting you to rely on him because it's the Holy Spirit that produces fruit in you. We go on. Number seven. Is that where we're at? Number seven. The Holy Spirit equips us with spiritual gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Uh, to another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the, worker, the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what we see here, and we'll talk about spiritual gifts a little bit later as we go through the book of Acts in detail, but what we see here is the fruit of the Spirit is given as a, um, as a bouquet, right? You get all of them. Here at the very end of verse 11 in 1 Corinthians, he reminds us that these gifts, these spiritual gifts, are apportioned to each one of us individually as he will. So in the body of Christ, each of us play a part for the common good of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is present and in us and indwells us and fills us and guides us all the same, but our gifts will be different to serve the body of Christ. At sometimes the Spirit's presence is maybe more visible in one person's than another, uh, but there are times when he may choose to manifest himself, and as you yield yourself to him, he will make your gifts apparent. Again, we'll talk about this a little bit more in detail as we go through the book of Acts. Uh, number eight this morning, the Holy Spirit empowers us, empowers us. Uh, Acts chapter one and verse eight says it this way, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here, this is a practical power he's talking about. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we will be empowered to be witnesses. Not to be rich. We're not empowered to be influential. We're not empowered to gain adoration or health or attention, I should say, we're empowered to be witnesses. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us. And so in your life, when you say to yourself or when you feel, boy, I really feel the Holy Spirit's power, what does that look like in your witness? It's a practical power. Uh, number nine this morning, I told you we'd be quick this morning. Uh, number nine, the Holy Spirit fills us. Uh, he fills us. Ephesians 5 says it this way. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So in contrast with the conduct of the world, and that's how he illustrates it, being out of control, we are to be filled with the Spirit. 
Paul's grammar here clearly says, be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Greek grammar lays it out. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event that we get and that we live off of. Uh, It happens over and over again. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 2, they were filled. So Acts chapter 4, they're filled again. It's a constant filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not a one-time experience because many of us, um, through the course of a day, through the course of a week, we fill ourselves up with ourselves. You ever think to yourself, that person's full of it. <laughs> the, the more accurate probably phrase is they're full of themselves. Maybe we're full of ourselves and we need to empty ourselves and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see why it has to be more than just a one-time filling? Because Monday morning is going to happen. Something will happen tomorrow morning to get you off track. I was telling someone after church last Sunday, uh, it's really easy to be unified and to be loving and kind and gracious and, um, and all of those things between 1030 and noon on Sunday morning. Right? It gets a little harder Tuesday afternoon when your week blows up, when your boss calls you in, when the plumbing goes out. When the electricity or the breaker box just something happens, when, uh, when it rains on a day off you were going to work in the garden, all of those things happen and all of a sudden it's a constant filling that we need to have so the Holy Spirit fills us. Number 10, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes on our behalf. You still with me t- this morning? All right, Romans 8, 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Some of us just need to take a hold of that phrase right there. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul goes on and he says this, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever find yourself in that position? And you don't know how to pray. And the Spirit himself will intercede, though. Uh, Verse 27, he goes on, he says this, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We all have times when we feel weak and we don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit steps in our place. Remember that word parakletos, one of those words uh, that the Greek word could be defined as is helper and comforter and defender, but then there's also that word intercessor. That means in the moment of your weakness, in the moment of your trial, in the moment where the world is falling apart and you just sit there on their bed at the end of the day and you want to pray, but you don't even know where to start. The Holy Spirit is right there, and he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for the heart. There have been times, um, there have been times in our lives, right, 
when, when we just don't know how to pray. I remember just two weeks ago, just sitting there on a Sunday afternoon, and I, and I hear about this church in Southern California um, gets shot up in this senseless tragedy, a Taiwanese church, and most of the people there that were shot and killed were elderly folks, just going to church like they always have. And I just remember sitting there on that Sunday afternoon and said, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to pray in this moment. I don't know how to pray for this situation. There's been times in the last year or so that Libby and I have just sat and we've said, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this thing that's happening in my family. Can you identify with that? Now, here's what the devil will tell you. The devil will tell you in that moment, you're alone. The devil will tell you in that moment that God does not care. And the devil will tell you in that moment that you are on your own. You see, as the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the helper, the defender, the mediator, our advocate, the enemy of our soul, he's the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. Because on this side of glory, on this side of heaven, the only weapon that he has against us are lies. So in that moment when you're sitting on the bed and and you don't know how to pray in that moment at your dinner table and there are seats that are empty that were occupied not too long ago. In that moment when your child calls you and, and explains what's happening in their life and as a parent you don't know how to help, you cannot give way to the lie of the devil. You cannot say, man, I am alone. I don't know. I don't even know what to pray for. I feel all alone. Um, um, God doesn't care because he's letting me go through this. Uh, he doesn't care for any of us. I'm on my own. Because in that moment, the Holy Spirit is interceding and praying for you. I have a lot of people that call me through a week and say, Daniel, would you pray for me? And I'm honored to do so, and I hope you call me because I want to pray for you. But in that moment, I hope you also recognize that before you've ever lifted the phone to call me, the Holy Spirit right there is already interceding for you. He's praying for you. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes on our behalf. Number 11 this morning, the Holy Spirit makes us new and gives us eternal life. Romans 8.10 says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, and the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Boy, the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to renew, to sanctify, and to make us new. And because he lives in us, he rules and he reigns. And not only are we in Christ and he is in us, uh, the body had to die when Jesus came in. Titus has, says it so beautifully. He says it this way. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Now, here's the thing, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I think it's just so great, so beautiful for us to consider and to remember for a moment that the Holy Spirit makes us new and gives us eternal life. In those moments where we are pained beyond belief and in those moments where we feel like our hope is, uh, is not distinguishable, we recognize in those moments that Jesus Christ came, he lived a sinless, perfect life so that we might have eternal life. And after he lived a sinless, perfect life, he was accused and betrayed by his friends. He was traded in for 30 pieces of silver. He was beaten. He was rejected by his own and beaten by the authorities. He took on the weight of the world. He was crucified on a cross. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, God the Father in heaven, witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, one of the things he said on the word is, on the, on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was buried, and three days later, he was resurrected. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because of his life, we now have the opportunity to have eternal life. Boy, the enemy of our soul works overtime. He works against the Holy Spirit in our life. And he'll make you numb to sin so you don't feel convicted anymore. He'll make you doubt the very promise of God. He'll make you feel like you don't understand that you're lost or that you're misguided. And everything against the fruit of the Spirit in your life uh, is showing up. And you forget what he's done and you forget his lessons and his goodness. And the devil and the enemy of our soul would love to do that. But church, the Holy Spirit in our life is a treasure. You have God living in you. Church, at no point since accepting Christ as your Savior have you ever been alone or have you ever been helpless. God's seal has been upon you. His assurance is in you and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in you. One of the clearest ways to start seeing the Holy Spirit work in your life every day is to acknowledge Him through worship and through prayer. In fact... As I mentioned earlier, most of us go through life with this sign. What would it look like if instead of this sign, we just held a new sign up in our life? I just, you know, you ever go to a restaurant and they, and they say under new ownership and the chicken is as dry as it ever was? The iced tea is bland. The fries are soggy. And everybody in the building is exactly the same. And you say, are you sure you're under new ownership? Because nothing's changed. And I wonder how many times in our life we go through life and we might be holding this sign but the people in our life say, nothing's changed. Your temper is as short as it always was. 
your self-control is still lacking. You're still not as kind. You're still not gracious. And you walk through life with this sign that says, under new ownership, and yet for some reason or another, nothing's changed on the inside. And so what I believe, what God would like us to do, boy, so we're going through the book of Acts, right? And can we just say that through six chapters, what we have seen has been supernatural, right? It is a church unlike any other church we have ever seen in the history of the world because it's the first church, right? It's the early church. But the Holy Spirit is showing up in ways that completely confuse and confound us because it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And I believe what God would like us to do is simply to say this. This sign doesn't mean anything anymore because the help is available, right? We go through life with this sign, but help is already available. I'm going to encourage you this morning to hold a new sign up. Grab your bulletins, grab the insert, and I want you to look at the very back of the insert. Over the last two or three weeks as I've been preparing for Pentecost Sunday and what it looks like for us to celebrate and honor the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, I just started writing out this prayer for myself that kind of incorporates everything that the Holy Spirit does for us. And I truly believe that our acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit would lead us to a place where we get to see the Holy Spirit work in our life. So this is the prayer I would ask you to pray every day. Forever. Make it your own. Maybe you took some notes today as you were listening or something resonated in one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us that was particular to you. Rewrite this and make it your own. But I want us to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in our life in such a way that we get to see the Holy Spirit work. Wouldn't it be cool this week that you're going through life and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit guides you one way? Right? He guides you this very special way and all of a sudden you meet someone or there's a conversation that comes because when the Holy Spirit guided you, it led you to this conversation. And if you had been on autopilot, if you had been... Uh, going the way you normally would, you would have missed this conversation. And because of this conversation, you were able to pray for someone, or maybe you were able to encourage them, or maybe they put a smile on your face, all because you listen to the Holy Spirit guide you. Wouldn't that be incredible? Uh, wouldn't it be incredible this week that, um, that the Holy Spirit fills you this week? Maybe it's Thursday morning, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fills you like you haven't felt before, and this conversation that you were avoiding with your boss turns out to be this amazing opportunity to tell him uh, about the goodness of God in your life. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing uh, that as the Holy Spirit, man, teaches you and reminds you that you have this moment with one of your teenagers or one of your kids who've moved away and they're asking for advice, or maybe they're not asking, but they're telling you everything wrong in their life, right? Because they're not going to ask you for advice, maybe. But they're telling you what's wrong in their life, and in that moment, 
man, the Holy Spirit just teaches you and reminds you. He said, remember, hey, remember when you, uh, four or five weeks ago you were going through something similar and this scripture came out? I'm going to remind you of that right now so you could help your family. This is how the Holy Spirit moves. This is how the Holy Spirit works. So this is the prayer I want us to pray this week. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. You are my comforter. You are my advocate. My salvation is sealed in you. And I'm grateful that I'm yours and that you reside within me. My body is your temple and I rejoice in your presence. Today I asked to keep teaching and remind me. Allow my heart to remember what I've learned and what I've read in your word. Today, guide me as I make decisions, go about my day, and connect with others. I am grateful for your conviction in my life, which has restored my relationship with you and your people. Holy Spirit, please forgive me for my sins that so readily draw my attention away from you. In my moments of weakness, remind me of your scriptures and your truth so that I do not sin against you. I pray that today you would produce fruit in my life. May today be filled with love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. I cannot do this with you. I'm sorry, I cannot do this without you. Please correct that, your presence or your power. I rely on you, and I put my faith in you. As I surrender myself to you, I beg that you show me how I can use the abilities you have given me to love those around me. Holy Spirit, empower me to do your will and be your witness. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the courage of the apostles of old. I pray for your help in my time of weakness, and I pray that you would intercede on my behalf when I don't have the words to pray. Thank you for making me new and giving me eternal life. I dedicate this day to you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you, and have a beautiful day.